0: And joining us now, he's back, Dr. Andrew Corbett, with another Wednesday morning discussion. Great to have you with us again. I tell you what, Andrew, we had uh, thousands of callers wondering
1: where you were last week. They really missed you. You're a very popular guy, you know. That's lovely. Well, uh, I I don't often take a leave of absence, but (laughs) last week was very, very special Mm. for Kim and myself. We celebrated our silver wedding anniversary and because of that we in as kim pointed out it was actually the first time in our 25 years of marriage that we've been away just to be away without kids since we've had kids of course and oftentimes we'll we'll get away but it's because i'm speaking somewhere or we've Mm -hmm. got to be somewhere but this was just just to celebrate our our wedding so we actually went away and had a just a wonderful time. Twenty-five yeah. years of marriage, and I love my wife more than ever. And I thought I could not love her more the day I married her, uh, but I—I I do. She is the absolute delight, joy, strength, support, encouragement, best friend to me in the world. So that's worth celebrating, Indeed. Cameron. Indeed, I agree. So I apologise to our listeners who look well, forward to these Well, I've always said
0: that um, Dr Andrew Corbett, if he can't turn up to something he's, uh, that he's committed to, uh, he's got a legitimate reason, a very legitimate reason. And I think from what you've just explained... We're happy with that. Well,
1: <laughs> I, I, I feel like I've just brought a note from my mother. No,
0: no, no not at
1: all. Not anyway, at Cameron, all. Um, just, uh, I've just brought in something yeah. again. This is a th- now This is something we want to give away on air. This is a high-grade vacuum flask, but as you can see, it's not just a normal high-grade vacuum flask. This is courtesy of all science mm-hmm. who've done this for us. This is a WayFM uh, high vacuum drink flask, and when we go to our first music break, Indeed. how about we give this away? This mm. is this is great uh, for putting your, your morning coffee in on your yeah, way to yeah, work, yeah. or going somewhere to watch the kids play soccer or something on a cold Saturday morning. And and make sure you hold the the logo outwards, so yeah, people so can people see can see it's it. it. It's a yeah. be- you know, <laughs> we've got our wife princess there, and the news on the hour, best hit music. And inspirational tips for living well, which I hope we're going to give a few in a moment. And if we give that to the first caller during our music break, music in a few break. Minutes, so don't bring so yet. So uh, don't ring just yet. No. But six three three four zero one hundred, first zero one hundred. First caller through. That's yours. Today, Cameron, I'm provoked, and I'm provoked because I I love our state as yeah. I hope becomes increasingly obvious to people, and I'm not interested in particularly the party politics that make the the, the the temperature of our state, both economically, socially and spiritually, that, that's, that's not really where I'm at. But what, what does concern me is that we have so much potential as a state, economically, socially, spiritually, and we, we just don't seem at this point to be living anywhere near up to our potential and i've got to tell you my frustration with this is that those who we i guess appoint to lead through the political process it look cameron i'll, I'll be frank with you I, the election the federal election is not till september 14 but i'm already pretty sick of it yeah <laughs> to be quite frank, a lot of because us it's a yeah. circus it's got very little to mm-hmm. do with actual leadership direction vision no implementation of the grand goal of what Australia and mm. what our state can can actually look like. And to read yesterday that, that our, our own Premier has put certain decisions on hold because she wants to await to see what uh, – th- this was just breathtaking that a Labor Premier would, would, would indicate this. She wants to see what a, a potential Liberal national government would – the impact that would have on our state it just thought, it just made me realize man we are in we're almost in paralysis here the, the, how on earth can we get get this state anywhere close to its potential if we're worried about the the circus of personality mm. politics yeah. yeah and this is really really frustrating and, and i tell you why because in our state we have some some really urgent needs that need addressing, but not just urgent needs, important long-term issues that need addressing. And if I sound like a politician this morning, please forgive me, because I'm not. I'm, I'm just a concerned citizen who wants to see our state reach its... At, at least come as close as it can to reaching its potential, and sustainably mm. so, not just you know, yes, we got there for three years. We, we, you know, we, we were able to, you know, have uh, maximum employment and and uh, low inflation and uh, high productivity and increase our exports and improve the environmental ecology of our state, which I think we can we can do all those things, but not just for a, a, a weeks, months, years, but but have a, a long-term culture that that maintains these things. I really think. For good reason that this is possible, and the word I want to use to describe that ultimate end goal is rich. I think we can be a rich state now. I'm I'm going to talk about the the secret, the biggest secret of the rich, and I know straight away there are going to be people that are just going to oh switch off because they think I'm talking about Rolex watches, fast expensive European cars, uh, an expensive yacht moored down at the marina, that kind of rich to me that's not rich to me that's opulence and that's that's a completely other thing than the actual word rich I, I, some people will think look I'm, I'm just not into money I'm, I just don't care about money I just want to have a happy life well I would actually say the word rich has to encompass at least an element of that but but i think you're if i can be so bold as to say to the person who would respond like that when i say i want our state to be rich i want yeah. every person yeah. in our state to be rich that when people hear that and they go oh boy you know here's another here's a preacher who's who's on about money and and all the rest of it and and for those that know me they know that that is that is just clearly not where i'm at and when i use this word rich i'm i am I am using that word in a, in a way that I guess means uh, not enslaved, not enslaved either to debt, not enslaved to your circumstances, not always on the back foot, not always going from hand to mouth, not always going from week to week, not dogged by your lack of resources and so when I use rich, it's it's got nothing to do with fine Italian suits or mm. or the nice mm-hmm. things of life, mm-hmm. but but it's those things that mean we because Cameron, here's here's what concerns me. Here in our state, we have the highest level per capita of personal debt in Australia. This is a a growing problem. It's a growing problem that we have now a generation of of teenagers that will grow up. Uh, sorry, that will reach adulthood in debt. They will already be in debt. Mm. And throughout their entire adult life, till the day they die, they will never live a day without being in debt. Now, if someone doesn't think that's a that's a, an outrageous problem, then th- that just, to me, yeah, yeah. that that just exacerbates the very problem, the yeah. fact that no one thinks that's a problem. I think this is a huge problem. And it's not just that. We're actually going to have... As we already have, some in some instances we have second and third generation social welfare recipients. Tasmania has the highest social welfare dependency of per capita of any state in Australia. Now, hey, I'm not saying social welfare is bad, but I am suggesting that in some instances this actually diminishes your 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 ability to be productive. It can actually there are some people who can have the, they do, they have the potential to be a contributor, not just a recipient. They, they have the ability to contribute overall to the benefit, the welfare of our state, not just to be a recipient. And we're actually growing up now in, we're seeing a culture grow up where there's almost an entitlement mentality. The, the, the government owes me. I, I don't have to do too much because I deserve these payments or or so on and again i'm not making any you know judgment call on the fact whether payments should or shouldn't be made but i think that we have if we have the highest social welfare dependency per capita of any state in australia somebody's got to go wait a minute hang on a minute Mm. this is this is actually not right i'll tell you why because when you actually work and there's reward for effort there's a tremendous sense of fulfillment that comes from that, Cameron. Yeah. A tremendous sense of achievement. It does. Work is not just about money, work is about dignity. It's about self respect. It, it gives you a reason to, to get your, your, your feet out of bed early when you don't want to each morning. Work gives people purpose, it gives people meaning. I think it's a God given design that all people are created to work. For the betterment of others, not just their own lives. Yes, and so when we have social welfare dependency, where where people do not have the privilege of having a job, of having work, of having a responsibility, a, a greater reason than themselves, it leads to boredom. Mm. And and Cameron, I, I got to tell you, I I cannot remember. I just simply cannot remember being bored. I, I my issue in my life is not boredom my issue is how am i going to get everything done that's my issue Uh, there there is there is a drive that i live with and and when i meet people who have been dumbed down by the system to not have aspirations not have goals not have a dream not have anything beyond their own life to live for i tell you cameron there there is something in me that that kind of it grieves me but it makes me angry as well that, that there is a generation that is growing up deprived of the opportunity to reach its potential and and Cameron, this is not right, so when we talk about rich that 's you know the big picture that i 'm talking about, and I think there is a secret that that rich people genuinely rich people yeah. have that is not widely known and After we come back from the music break let 's start to talk about that, and I remind our listeners if you 're the first caller through now. 63 100 while we go to this music break, we'd love to give you this high-grade vacuum flask. It's the YFM vacuum flask to put your tea, your coffee, your soup, whatever in, courtesy of Mick from All Signs. Thank you, Mick. And uh, we'd like to give this away to our first caller. But let's come back after this song.
0: Okay, we? let's go. More after this on YFM. It's 8:49 uh, on YFM with a new song there called uh, "Millionaire" from uh, the Script, which uh, I suppose ties in with this morning's uh, topic that we're discussing today about uh, the real secret of the rich. And we're not we're, again. We're not really coming from uh, uh, a lot of the time when we talk about this sort of thing. We're not when we talk about rich doesn't necessarily mean as in terms of money.
1: Well, yes. Kind of well, yeah well, it, show I guess let, let's make this distinction mm. because um, <clears throat> there used to be an ABC comedy program when I was growing up, uh Tim and debbie and uh and and Debbie was kind of this girl that was right out there and and she said, you know she was raving mm. on how she saw the rich and how miserable they looked, and how you know she was kind of. The, the kind of from that hippie generation, mm. and Tim, who was as thick as two bricks, said, "Well, I don't know, Debbie. I saw a rich bloke, and he seemed pretty happy to me. You know, it was yeah. like." And, and I, someone said, "Rich doesn't being rich doesn't make you happy, no. but it does buy you a more comfortable state of misery." Mm. And, yeah, well,
0: and, I've heard people say that
1: they become lonely when they're yeah, rich. Yeah, there's 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 an up and a down sign to this. But I guess the one thing again, I just want to stress is when I'm using this word rich, I'm not. I'm not using it in the sense of you being able to have the nice watch, car, whatever. That That's not where I'm coming from. In fact, Cameron, rich people aren't always easy to spot. They're mm. not always easy to identify. i tell you one of the things, though, you can identify are those who are not rich. And you can identify the not rich because they're the ones with the expensive toys. Mm. They're the ones who do have all those Rolex watches or, you know, the, the whatever, whatever. Uh, and by the way, I'm not saying everybody who has a Rolex watch, if anyone <laughs> from Rolex is listening, is, <laughs> is is necessarily a wannabe rich. But but I'm saying that, that rich people don't always – they're not always flashy. They're not always driving the flashiest car. They're not always living in the best postcode. Mm. They're not always mm. the ones that look opulent. They – they can look very ordinary in fact sometimes for the for the rich it's in their interest not to stand out and this is this is one of the things i guess distinguishes rich from fake rich and i think too many people in tasmania have this concept of fake rich which they believe to be genuine rich and for them it's the ability uh to to be able to spend and this is where I, I, you know we talk about the biggest secret of the rich. The 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 biggest secret of the rich is, is that it's not their riches is not measured by what they have, but by how much they have left and what they do with it. And incorporated into that is 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 this. Sometimes it's attitude that the rich get all the breaks, you know, the mm, rich are the mm. lucky ones, the rich. Yeah, the the rich just get richer and the poor get poorer and that's just, you know, the injustice of life. Well, you know, Cameron, um oftentimes it's not injustice. Oftentimes it's justice. Often now, now and again I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm saying here, but sometimes people become wealthy because they work, dang that's not swearing, by the way, that's... <laughs> 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 they work real hard. They work yeah. real hard. And they, they treat what they have with great care and they're able to multiply their resources rather than diminish their resources. And that's not luck. That's hard work. Mm. And, Cameron, I'm saying that I think more people can work hard. More people can move from poverty, and I just—I would define poverty as indebtedness, just indebtedness. I said before that part of the reason I'm provoked is that I'm seeing teenage kids get a mobile phone when they're 15, 16. Maybe they've got a part-time job. Maybe they haven't, and they're getting a mobile phone that may cost, if they were to buy it off the shelf, may cost anywhere from 700 to $1,200. You know how much mobile phones can cost. Yes. And th- they are able to get these things, perhaps uh, sponsored or guaranteed by their parents, on some kind of finance plan. So whether it be to you know XYZ telephone company that they now have to pay $50 a month, which may not sound like a lot of money. In fact, often this is how a teenager will rationalise it. It's only... $12.50 or whatever, $12.25 a week, it's not that much, I can afford that easy, I'm getting $60 a week for my part-time job, this is easy, I can do this easy. What? But what they don't realise is the moment they sign on that contract, they're now in debt. And it's not $12.25 they're in debt for, it's the $700 plus the 22% interest they're in debt for. And then that leads to by the time they turn 18, their bank is sending them out a free credit card and all they have to do is keep it, sign it, take it into the bank, verify it. They don't even have to apply for it. And and this is, this is just bizarre. I mean, the word crazy comes to mind that we're actually going to end up having a generation of people who earn, you know, maybe a modest income, maybe even a, a good income, a, a high income, yet they are never out of debt. They're always mm, in debt. Mm. And... What I, I guess the difference between that lifestyle and the genuinely rich is that the rich have, have, have got a different way of going about things. They've got uh, this, this horribly antiquated notion and it's almost so horrible, it's so old fashioned Cameron, it's called delayed gratification. And I know there, there are probably people right now turning their radios off that I would dare even raise hmm. such a thought, such an antiquated, old-fashioned idea as saving or waiting to purchase something by saving for it. I, I know there are probably people throwing things. They're probably throwing their mobile phone plans at the radio right now, Cameron, at the idea. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, no, but, no. but th- this is something I think as as a parent, look, I'm I'm really battling with this, even with my own children, I've mm. I've got um, uh, you know two grown children and 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 two others at home and and um, just the whole social pressure of you know everyone else has got a phone, everyone else has got this, everyone else has yes. got the latest whatever from whoever, and th- this is something where um, we we as parents are are really fighting against a culture that wants to. Impoverish our children. Now, it, it, what, what makes it even worse, Cameron, is that it wants. It, it's deceptive. It, it mm. says, if you know, if you have the latest whatever phone, you, you're you're rich. You're a part of the lifestyle of the rich and the famous. The rich and the famous use these things. If you get one of these, you'll be rich and famous. When in fact, how how duplicitous is that? Mm. How deceptive is that? You you're actually handcuffing. You're, you know, someone to uh, years of debt that, that creates a culture of debt that dumps people down. Kevin, I was listening Sunday morning to YFM, and uh, we, we awake on a Sunday morning to uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll and then then really enjoy a Family Weekend magazine that comes up. And last Sunday morning on, on our radio station here on YFM, there was a a financial guy who shared his story and and he said that when he and his wife got married, he was about 20 or so years of age, got married, borrowed money to buy an investment house and rented it out, was doing okay, and used the equity for that and and built up uh, several several homes, several houses in his real estate portfolio and went and borrowed money to buy a car and did all this. And then that bank got sold and, and looked at this, you know essentially a kid you know 23 24 years of age who had six or seven houses uh mortgaged with the bank and the bank panicked and and said no we're not going to continue this and and that sent this kid this kid this 23 year old man into bankruptcy and and he shared his story and he said look you know i had the nice car i had the houses we were doing well we had several million dollars um of real estate assets And then within a matter of a couple of months, it was all gone. And he said, I had to go back to square one, not only square one, we were behind square one, we were were behind zero and we had to catch up, get back to zero and start again. And he said one of the first things he realised was the lifestyle traps that culture puts you in. For example, he said, some people think the only way you can ever own or drive a nice car is to have car finance. He said, most people spend $400 a month on car finance. He said, if you took that $400 and put it into a mutual fund, a cash management fund, and did that for 10 years, at the end of 10 years, you would have a roundabout with the compounding interest. You would have about $1 million. Wow. He said, or you could have a car that you just spent $15,000 on that's now worth $2,000. Your choice, your call. Cameron, how about we come back Mm. after the news and let's actually start to unpack some of the very practical steps that the rich do to maintain wealth and avoid debt. And I think these are things that we both personally and as a state can begin to consider. Indeed.
0: You're on Launceston's YFM. Very good morning to you. I'm Cameron Skirving with Dr. Andrew Corbett this morning. It's 9 o'clock news time. 04 on YFM and uh, we're talking today about um, uh, about me, about being rich and um, obviously a big secret that, um, that they're having and Dr. Andrew Corbett's with us of course to uh, discuss that. I am amazed at always the story of rock stars and, and, and movie stars who have a lot of ma- uh, money, they've got mansions, they've got all they need, well all that they would want but maybe not necessarily all they need because despite all their wealth and everything like that, they feel lonely.
1: Yeah, and Cameron, we often have this, I think, unrealistic idea of wealth and th- those people who accumulate wealth, well, rather, get wealth very suddenly, such as perhaps sports stars who go from you know college or whatever and then suddenly they're earning ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a game, playing football or basketball or... Whatever that might be, they, um, in in fact, in America there's is a real problem. I was watching uh, the the retiring chief of the NBA talk about the crisis they've got over there, where some of these young players have have earned tens of millions of dollars throughout their career, but by the end of the playing career, they've got nothing left. Yeah, and it's they now recognise that th- that there needs to be some. Uh, intervention uh, forced intervention uh, through the through their managers uh, this is just bizarre this is this is incredible to think that someone could earn 20 30 million dollars over a 15 a year playing career plus endorsements plus everything else and at the end of the 15 years not have not have anything to show for it Th- this is just bewildering absolutely bewildering and yet you'd have it, it just points out that that being rich is not measured by how much money you earn it, it's it's measured partly by what you do with what you get and there's a a story that was told to me by an economist who was making this point that there was once a, a Vietnamese refugee family that, that came to America and the husband and his wife and his two young daughters couldn't speak English, and so they they had to learn English along the way. And of course, that made it very difficult for the man to get a job. So he 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 did what he knew. And and, and when he was in Vietnam, he he had a, a fruit and vegetable stall, and he knew how he knew about fruit and vegetables, and mm-hmm. and he knew how to sell yeah. fruit and vegetables, and and he managed to get a stall at a market and he began to sell uh, fruit and vegetables and he he earned a, a very modest income from that, he, he earned around about $20,000 and he managed to find a one room apartment where he, his wife and two daughters lived and, and that cost him about $8,000 a year and he had about eight thousand dollars of living expenses and so the 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 other four thousand dollars he saved each year and after about five years or so he had you know around about twenty thousand dollars plus interest put aside and he learned enough english he learned to read and write he'd been working hard at that and he he then went to a bank and used the the twenty thousand dollars as a deposit on a loan for a, a warehouse and he established a fruit and vegetable warehouse distribution business that within another five years was turning over uh, around you know two to four million dollars a year and he had uh, paid off the loan and was in in all respects you know, people looking at him going, boy, this guy's a a real success story. And the economist asked the question to the group uh, where I was listening. He said, at what point did this man become rich? And everyone thought, well, obviously, when he turned over his first million dollars, that's when he became rich. Mm -hmm. And the economist said, no, he was rich when he was earning more than his expenses. When he had a lifestyle that wasn't indebted, and he had some left over to save, and that had look, just that story had a profound effect on me, Cameron. Because I realised being rich is not a measure of how much you earn. Cameron, I have met people who earn upwards of two hundred thousand dollars a year, and at the end of each financial year, their, their bank balance is zero and their debts have gone up and and you could you could hear that and think how on earth is that possible well let me tell you it's not only possible it's it's actually prevalent it's actually happening and this is what i mean by the the deep concern i think we as a society need to have we we really need to take stock here We need to think, where on earth are we going as a culture when we celebrate a lifestyle of impoverishment and fool ourselves, kid ourselves into thinking that it's actually a a well-off lifestyle? I mean, many people have got so much debt, their only hope is to sell some of their assets before they retire so that at least they can die not in debt or not leave debt to their children or whatever the case may be. I, I, I think we, we need to just really take stock of of, of what we've just said. What, if that's your plan, can I suggest, hey, you, there's still time to change. And this is where I, I now wanna fly through some things here because, Kevin, getting out of debt is not a matter of luck, it's not an accident. Getting out of debt doesn't happen by accident. To go from indebtedness to out of debt is not a matter of luck. You can't see someone who's gone from being in debt to out of debt and go, wow, they were lucky. I guarantee you it's not luck. I guarantee you it's not luck. Now for those people who have some sense of spiritual understanding about the world, which I would consider to be a fuller understanding of reality, you you may even say, well, you know, I get into a, a, a sticky spot, I get into a bother, and I just pray, and God provides. Can I tell you right now that for many people, that actually is not their experience. They pray, and it seems like God does nothing. It seems like God does nothing. Cameron, I want to give you perhaps one of the most profound thoughts you'll hear before lunchtime today, and that is this. Often we're praying for provision, and God's answer is opportunity. Yep. Often we're praying for provision, and God's answer to that prayer is opportunity. Mm, God gives opportunity, and and too few of us see, we don't live in a culture that that seizes opportunity and takes advantage of opportunity because opportunity requires effort, opportunity requires work, opportunity requires preparation, opportunity requires gumption, opportunity requires initiative opportunity requires that you take a risk and often we're we're praying for provision and god's answer is opportunity and and i want to see us as a state begin to open our eyes cameron (laughs) to the wonderful opportunities that we have here in this state i mean good night this state has got so many opportunities and and i and i think that we sometimes have the blinkers on. We we just think in such small vision that we fail to recognise this is a great place to. This is a great place to live. This is wonderful. Okay, it's it's a little bit cooler than the rest of Australia in winter, but you know what, Cameron? It, it gets what is it, it got down to what minus ten at Liwini yesterday. Yes, it did. The coldest part of the state. You know, Cameron. There are parts of Europe in winter, and and in the in the warmest days their warmest days daytime in winter it gets to minus 10 yeah yeah, I know (laughs) in other words stop your whinging yeah
0: (laughs) I've been mentioning that why don't we move to Canada where it gets to minus 17 You know, I mean
1: there are are countries in Europe where if they get a minus 10 day it's a warm day Mm. you know in other words if people are whinging about well we can't do anything here because it's too cold I just think get a grip Get the yeah. grip. It's come not on. that bad, really. It's not that bad. Nah. Obviously, it's not that bad. And and if this is the excuse, well, you know, we can't do anything because it's so cold. Look, come on. Give me a break. Well, we can't do anything because we're so isolated. Oh, give me a break. Man, so much of the world now has become digitized. So much of the world has become um, d- digital It's it's it and it, it's not a physical thing and so much of the world can be organized digitally. Uh, I... I met someone who is one of Australia's best-selling authors, and what intrigued me about them was that they, they had their books um, printed in Malaysia, I believe it was, and they were living they, they live in a very, very small town in Australia, very, very small town, very isolated, very small town, and they sell their books all around the world. But rather than bring them to their very small town and then ship them out all around the world, they actually uh, just leave them in Malaysia. And from their, their very small town, just over the internet, they they forward the orders on for their books to be sent all around the world from Malaysia. And I thought, well, tell you what, they're up there for thinking. That's, yeah, yeah. That is very, it's very great. clever. And I think more Tasmanians need to see the opportunities that we've got now especially with all the kerfuffle over the NBN. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to recognise, okay, once the dust settles on this, this, this new NBN system is going to open up a wealth, and I mean that, a wealth of opportunities for creative Tasmanians and a new generation of entrepreneurs if we will see the opportunities before us. Because the the world, what happens when the world becomes more... Uh, uh, wealthy wealthier, uh, especially those countries that we traditionally thought of as impoverished countries such as India and China, Cameron, mark my words over the next ten years. Watch what happens in India and China. Our perception of India and China being you know third world countries is is uh, just give me a call in ten years and tell me. Uh, Andrew, you were wrong or you were right on this, but I I make this prediction. Those countries where there is a culture uh, of uh, work, a culture where there's very low um, social welfare assistance, and again, I'm not making a judgment call on that, I'm just saying this is the reality in India and and China. Watch what they do with the global internet, the information technology available, watch what they do watch what they do, and watch what effect that has on the average Indian and the average Chinese person, in other words they are going to be, I'm going to make a prediction they are going to become some of the wealthiest people per capita on the planet now these people are going to need things and they're going to need, as economies become more sophisticated, they're going to need they're going to need entertaining they're going to want to learn English, they're going to want to develop their ability to be global citizens and and if there isn 't Tasmanians listening to this right now who suddenly don 't have light bulb moments and go hang on a minute i've got i 've got maybe five to ten years to position my business idea to take advantage and this is where we need to think don 't don 't just think in terms of having a little market stall that, you know all, all more power to you if you go to the Evandale market or the Salamanca market and you sell your widgets there every second good on you well done well done but there's a whole world out there that might want to buy your widget mm. there's a world out there that might want to buy a widget and your widget may not be something you actually physically handle it may be an e-book okay uh i'm reading an uh, my 1st ebook now I've, I've been writing ebooks for several years and and uh so i'm actually walking the talk a little bit here but I'm I'm reading an e-book now that I can read on if I haven't got my iPhone to read it off. I can read it on my iPad if I haven't got my iPad or iPhone. I can read it on my computer screen. I've got to tell you, Cameron, that is fantastic. Hmm. I am loving yeah. this. This yeah. is great. And th- these guys have said we're not, we're not even going to print this book. not in, not even going to print it because we can do so much more as an e-book. We can hmm. embed audio. We can embed video. We we can have all kinds of pictures, we can have links, we can take you to web pages from within the ebook. The world is your oyster if you get this, if you get this. And so I think there are, there are certain things that the rich do that are secrets, they are not widely known. There are six things that lead to being rich and they go from basic to sophisticated. Kevin, how about after this next song, mm-hmm. let's fly through the six levels of the secrets of the rich. And I'll tell you right now, the, the the biggest secret of the rich is that they invest. So let's talk about investing when we come back after this song.
0: Okay, you're with Launceston's him on the breakfast show this morning with Cameron Skirving in discussion with uh, Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's 9.19. A song that uh, is probably more relevant now than it always <laughs> has been with... Uh, uh, a lot of things uh, going up and that sort of thing. Money's too tight to mention there from uh, uh, Sibley Red, originally a hit for them in 1987. Yeah, We're talking about um, the great secret uh, of uh, rich people, and Dr. Andrew Corbett is going to give us some, um, some more unpacking. In fact, yeah, okay, so things. Cameron,
1: the biggest secret of the rich is mm. that they invest, and this... This is gonna there there probably was a whole bunch of people waiting with sharpened pencils to ready to write this down and they've gone, Oh, is that it is that it is that is that all is that all you're gonna say? (laughs) Well, let me unpack this a bit because there's six levels of investing and this is this is what I've discovered, Cameron, that no matter it's it's not a measure of how much you get, it's a matter of what what you do do with it with what you've got. And some people think well I can't do anything with what I've got now until I get more. And this is the trap because the best indication of what you would do with more is what you do already. So, for example, the person who says, you know, I, I can't give to charity because I just don't have anything, if they got more, chances are they would do exactly the same thing with more as they now do with what they've currently got. So the rich have learned to invest. Now, in getting out of debt, they also simultaneously begin to invest. So what what the rich do, well, what, what those who are indebted do is spend, and what the rich do is invest. So the so the rich do what people do when they spend, but the rich don't spend it, they invest it. Now, that might mean y- you can't have takeaway this week, this month. That's what it might mean. It might mean instead of spending that $10 a week or whatever that you're spending on takeaway, you actually bank that, which would be $40 a month. And that is actually the the first step. The first level of investing is regular saving. Just regular saving. Whether it be $20 a month. Now, you might think, I can't save $20 a month. I've got... I've got a mountain of credit card debt, I've got a car loan, I've got all this, I've got all that. Well, the, the simple reality is we, we could give you a million dollars right now and probably in about 18 months to two years, you'll be exactly where you were before we gave it to you, unless you change your lifestyle. So the first thing, the first level of investing is regular saving. Savings, that, that means you put it yes. in and it's and you not don't like, touch it. I'm I'm saving this you know i'm i'm putting this in the bank on tuesday to spend on wednesday or to spend on thursday that's not saving no to put it in and it's it's not your christmas fund it's not anything it's just there now peter daniels one of australia's wealthiest men uh, and one of australia's biggest philanthropists he says that it's it's prudent to have 2 to 3 months of salary saved in some savings. And how many people would have two to three months of savings in the unfortunate circumstance that they lost their job? And the answer is not many. Not many would. So that's the first level. The second level, in America, they're they're called mutual funds. In Australia, we call them term deposits or cash management funds. They earn a little higher interest rate than your normal savings. So the second level of investing is... (coughs) is mutual funds, cash management yeah. funds. The the third level of investing is called gearing. And this is where we begin to understand the difference between good debt and bad debt or destructive debt and constructive debt. Because not all debt is equal. There are some debt that will almost, they're just perpetual. You borrow money and you you'll be forever trying to catch up. This of course is what happened in America where people borrowed money to to buy houses. They, they they borrowed almost 100, sometimes 105% of the value of the house and then the value of the house itself went down and now people are left with a, a life, literally a, a life of debt. They'll never be out of debt simply paying their house, uh, the mortgage on their, their house. Well, that you'd have to consider to be bad debt Good debt, Robert Kiyosaki says, is where you borrow to create an income. So for example, you might borrow money to buy a rental property. And that rental property not only pays back the money that you've borrowed, but it puts a little bit of money in your pocket each month. Well, you'd have to think that was good debt. And that's the third level of investing. It's called gearing. It's where you take your money and you multiply it through sophisticated borrowing now we're getting into the area that the rich begin to traffic in and this is where it starts to get more difficult it requires a lot more homework it's the the level four of investing is developing a business developing a business now I know there's a lot of people who hear me say that and they think they know what I'm talking about because you might be a self-employed plumber, electrician, painter, builder, whatever, and you might think, yep, that's it, I'm in business. But I'm actually making a distinction between being self-employed and business. A business is something you can walk away from from three months and it will continue without you. Mm. That's different to being self-employed. And this is a very difficult thing to establish. It it often takes two to eight years to establish a business. And I see people who go from being employed to being self-employed, which is often a step to developing a business, who don't appreciate the time it takes to develop a business properly. And they don't understand the role of marketing. They don't understand the difference between marketing and advertising. They don't understand how marketing is a huge investment in your business. I mean, Cameron, yes. people need to, if they're going into business, they need to understand this, that marketing is a, is a part of their investment strategy for promoting their business. Essentially, the marketing is telling your business story. Advertising is promoting the particulars of your business. Uh, level five investing is um a a little bit more sophisticated well uh, quite a bit sophisticated that's where you establish a private company so a private company will involve bringing in other investors that might look like you develop a business you then sell 49 percent of that business to other investors and it gives you the opportunity to multiply that business through bringing in other investors. And that's a private company. So people who run private companies or, or are part of running a private company, a proprietary limited company, or a company uh, perhaps limited by guarantee, these these companies may have di- have outlets, they'll have directors, they'll have a, a board, and they they are quite a sophisticated operation. And then the sixth level, the most sophisticated level of investing, is when you establish not just a business, not just a private company, but then you take that company and you go public with it. And that's that's a, a public company. That's a, a company listed on the stock exchange. And that is the most sophisticated business. Now, for people who are thinking in in global terms, they... And they really want to expand and they they want to be someone who can create wealth and employ people and give people the dignity of employment. And not everybody's going to be emotionally, intellectually, physically, socially able to do this. This is, I'm not talking to everybody right now, but there are some people who will have the potential to do this. It's level five and six, where if we can see that fostered and developed and encouraged in Tasmania it will have a dramatic economic benefit for our state. Cameron, I actually think, also as I I bring this to a conclusion, that when the rich invest, it's a lifestyle that understands that we're putting in today to benefit tomorrow. And it's not just money that truly rich people invest. They invest their time, they invest their talent, but most importantly, they invest in other people that 's why they 're good corporate citizens that 's why they're they 're good philanthropists that 's why they understand mm. that there are organizations that that help people uh, such as wafield yeah and I, I tell you now as, as I think we 're coming up to the end of the financial year in just a few days and i I want to in one sense uh, thank everybody who has given especially over the last week or so and been helping wayfm we we really need your help now to finish this financial year and i also want to encourage those who would like to help wayfm we are listener supported That please visit our website slash donate and make a donation help us as a station to finish this financial year well we we want to finish well and we're looking to people who understand that that they can share the responsibility and help us, and we'll do it. We'll work hard, and if we've invested something into people's lives through what we broadcast, then it's 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 fair and reasonable, as we give first that that people give uh, back, and, and we would appreciate that. And gifts to WFM to are tax deductible, and I want to thank everybody for their support uh, over the last financial year. And just the last few days of this financial year, if you're able to give, it would just be deeply appreciated and deeply timely. And Cameron, uh, I hope that people today have got something to chew on, that they can use what they have already, rather than saying, I can't do anything with what I've got, and that they can begin to develop a lifestyle of investing, not only their resources, but their time and talent, and not just into material things, but even more importantly, into other people. I'll be back next Wednesday, Cameron, and we'll continue to talk about stuff that matters.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much, Dr. Andrew. You're a legend as always, and it's always great to have you back. So uh, uh, thanks for your great message this morning. You can catch uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Andrew Corbett uh, at the same time next week and also on Finding Truth Matters uh, from uh, 8.30 tomorrow night. You're on YFM. It's 9.35 on The Breakfast Show now.